those images that you see are not just images, but they are indeed our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted for their faith. For the simple fact that they are Christians. And as I was watching that, as Chris prepared that, uh, I was thinking of that very fact that these are, are real men and women. These are people who are really paying a price. You know, the, according to the U.S. State Department, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution by their government or neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. In places like Croatia and Africa, places like Iraq and Iran, places like Pakistan and Afghanistan and North Korea, Christians pay a very high price for their faith. In Jesus. The Bible says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are being mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So I'd like for us to pause for a moment and pray for those whom we've just seen on the screen. For their families and for the thousands of others like them that are represented in those pictures. Would you join me as we pray? Father, It's a powerful reminder as we sit here in the safety of the sanctuary, as we sit here in the, the Bible Belt, and yes, we experience some forms of persecution, we experience some forms of opposition, but nothing remotely like what our brothers and sisters are experiencing in other parts of the world. Lord, You have told us to pray for the persecuted church. So today we want to pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are paying a very deep price simply because of their faith. I pray that Jesus will be very real to them, especially in their most difficult hours. I pray that in those times in prison, in those beatings, in those times when they have to make choices between life or death, in those times when they have to decide whether to renounce their faith, or hold on to Jesus, I pray that He would be especially real to them. And I pray, Father, that You would, by your, the power of Your Holy Spirit, give them the strength to stand firm for Christ and for the Gospel. And I pray, Lord, that You would prepare our hearts today as we look at Your Word. May we also understand the need to remember Jesus Christ in the days in which we're living. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, if today is your first Sunday here, or you haven't been here in a while, uh, let me tell you that we are in a summer series that addresses the times in which we are living, and the series is called Last Days. It's a series based on the book of 2 Timothy. So go ahead and open God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you will. Last week we began looking at chapter 2, but we didn't finish the message. So what we're going to do today is pick up where we left off last Sunday and then go on. And so uh, I want to help you review what we've talked about last Sunday and then we'll, we'll take off in today's message. Now if you were here last week, I asked you to underline three important words. In verse 8, I hope that you've got them marked in your Bible. What were those three important words I ask you to mark and remember? Remember Jesus Christ. It's such a key statement in chapter 2 and such a 
fundamental statement to our faith as well as to what we're going to be talking about. Now, and I asked the question last week, why would Paul tell young Timothy the pastor to remember Jesus Christ? And, and then I answered the question for you. I believe it is, it's because it's so easy to focus on the problems of the world that we forget we're supposed to tell people about the solution. So easy to get caught up in all the craziness of our world and, and the things that are happening in our world, the, the, the pressures that we're beginning to experience because of our faith. It's, it's so easy to get tied up in those things and get focused on those things, the problems of the world that we forget. We're supposed to tell people about the solution. That's why he said, remember Jesus Christ. You see, as Christians, you and I, living in a country that is often opposed to our Christian values, our focus must not be panic, it must not be anger, nor should it be fear. Our focus must always be on Jesus Christ and the mission He has given us. That's what Paul meant when he said, remember Jesus Christ. Don't let what you're going through, don't let what you're experiencing, don't let what's happening around you cause you to forget why you're here and what you're doing. So last week we looked at this text and we said that Paul gave us three challenges to help us live out our faith in difficult times. And last Sunday we got to two of them. Let me review those for you in case you weren't here. And if you, if you were here, go ahead and get your notes out and so you can add to them. But we said first of all, what does it mean to remember Jesus Christ? It means first to rely on Jesus every day. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't just say, be strong. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the Christian life is not about trying, to, trying really hard to live for Jesus. It's about allowing Jesus to live through you. Sometimes our best is just not good enough. That's why we need a strength greater than what we have. So Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. And, and, and Paul tells us very clearly to rely on Him every day. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, Paul was telling Timothy, and I said this last week. Paul was telling Timothy in verse 1, You don't need Jesus just on your day of salvation. You need Jesus every day. You don't need to just trust Jesus on the day that you got saved. Put your faith in Christ on the day that you got saved. You need to put your faith in Christ every day. So that's the first thing that it means. Remembering Jesus means to rely on Him every day. Number two, we said last Sunday, it also means to pass on the gospel of Jesus to others. Paul put it this way in verse 2, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach... What's that last word? Others. You see, every Christian needs to be concerned about others. Every Christian needs to be outwardly focused. Now the pull is, the natural tendency is to be drawn inward, to start focusing inward. And I want to give you a warning, the longer you are a Christian, the more likely it is that you pull inward. The more likely you're, it is that you're focused on my preferences and my desires and my needs, and, and you're just focused on you. That's a natural tendency of the Christian faith. The longer you walk with Christ, it's, it's, an, it's an oddity, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you start thinking about you. 
But Paul says in verse 2 that every Christian needs to be focused on others. And he said very clearly that every Christian needs to be a reproducer of the gospel and not just a receiver of it. See, too often we're gospel hoarders. We never share what we have received. We don't teach what we have learned. And in verse 2, the real challenge for all of us is to pass on the gospel to others and to disciple them. Now that was last Sunday. If you missed it, uh, you can get online and, and listen to the message in its entirety. But that's essentially what we talked about last Sunday. So, number three, I'm picking up, this is new material, get ready to, to complete your notes now. What does it mean to remember Jesus Christ? And number three, remembering Jesus Christ means to persevere in hard times because of who we are serving. Here's how Paul says it in verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I wonder if the hands of young Timothy perhaps began to tremble as he read those words for the first time. As he held that scroll in his hand and as he, he knew that this scroll came from the hand of Paul and he knew what Paul had been through in years past and what Paul was experiencing as he wrote those words in the Mamertine prison awaiting his execution, I wonder if the hands of Tim and Timothy began to shake a little when he read Paul what Paul wrote, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Why would Paul take the time to say that to, to Timothy? I believe he's trying to teach Timothy a very fundamental lesson that he should never forget, and that is when the gospel is proclaimed, it will often be opposed. That's normal. You see that throughout the Bible and you see that throughout history. When the gospel is proclaimed, it is often opposed. That's why it was necessary to give Timothy this instruction in verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, this is not just something that's going to happen to me. This is likely something that will happen to you as well. Because when the gospel is proclaimed, it is often opposed. Now this was not new information for Timothy, but it was a timely reminder. I want you to go back, put your finger in 2 Timothy, and go back with me to Acts chapter 18. Let me show you an example of, of this fleshed out in the life of Paul. Chapter 18 of Acts. Verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to where, church? Went to Corinth. Now skip down to verse 4. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and who? Timothy. So Timothy is here in Corinth with Paul. He's on this missionary journey and he's witnessing with his own eyes, what Paul is going to do and what Paul is going to experience. So, Timothy is on site. It says in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews, what's that next word? Opposed Paul. He was preaching the gospel, and when the gospel was proclaimed, it is often opposed. When the Jews opposed Paul and became, what's that next word? Abusive. Timothy saw that. 
He witnessed that. The gospel was proclaimed. The gospel was opposed. They became abusive towards Paul. And here's what Paul did. He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue, and notice this, and he went next door, next door to the synagogue, to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Very interesting what happened here. We find that the truth in Paul's day, the gospel in Paul's day, was no more popular than it is in ours. And when Paul proclaimed the gospel, he was opposed and he was abused, but he continued to share. In fact, he just went next door to the synagogue. He didn't go home. He didn't quit. He didn't talk about the opposition. He just went next door to the synagogue. And he continued to share. He continued to persevere because he believed in the power of the gospel. And though it was not received in the synagogue, he wanted to go next door because he knew that the people in Corinth needed the gospel he was there to share. And in fact, when Paul continued to persevere, when he continued to endure, I want you to see what God did. Look in verse 7 and 8. Then Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler. The place where he was just opposed. The guy who was in charge of the synagogue where he was, where he was preaching. The, the place where he was abused. Crispus, the leader of that synagogue. The synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Isn't that interesting? when he's proclaiming the gospel, when he continues to persevere, when he continues to endure, when he doesn't let the opposition stop him, when he remembers that he has a mission and he has a message, when he continues to share that message because of who he was serving, then the synagogue ruler, Crispus, and his entire household came to faith in Christ. Now, with that as the background, go back to what Paul wrote to Timothy. Going back to 2 Timothy now, chapter 2. When Paul wrote these words in verse 3, they meant something to Timothy. They were not shallow, empty words. They had a history behind them. And Paul said, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That word endure in verse 3 implies that we do not quit. We do not give up. Instead, we persevere because of Jesus and the gospel. And to inspire Timothy to remain faithful in difficult days, Paul used three simple but powerful images of perseverance. He used the illustration of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Read with me, beginning again in verse 3. Endure hardship with us. Here's the first illustration. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Then he gives another illustration in verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, another illustration. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. 
And then, as if Timothy perhaps was sitting there scratching his head, trying to figure it out as he's reading these words, Paul says in verse 7, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. The purpose of each illustration was to show all of us that Jesus has called us not to a life of ease, but to a life of endurance. Each illustration was for that purpose. The soldier endures to please his commanding officer. The athlete endures by leading a disciplined life. The farmer endures, working hard, looking for the harvest. But, but now don't miss this. They each endure because they have a specific purpose. They have something motivating them to persevere. What is it that was causing each of these people in the illustration to persevere? Well, for the soldier, he wanted to please his commanding officer. For the athlete, he continued to pers- persevere for the victor's crown. For the farmer, he continued to work hard and persevere for the harvest that was coming. So what is it that motivates you to keep going? What is it that motivates you to persevere as a Christian? What causes us to share the gospel and even to experience opposition because of the gospel? What causes us to persevere? It's in verses 8 and 9, and this is the heart of what I want to tell you. Verse 8 and 9, here's what he says. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul describes Jesus Christ with two phrases. He says, raised from the dead. That is referring to His divinity. To the fact that He is God. Remember Jesus Christ, that He was no ordinary person, but he, is, he was raised from the dead. He was divine. It was His deity. It, he is God. And then descended from David refers to His humanity. He was man, descended from David. You need to understand something. In Timothy's day, it was popular to assert that Jesus was divine, but not human. He was God, but not man. And in our day, it's just the opposite. We often hear that Jesus was human, but not divine. He was a great teacher, people say. He was man, but not God. But hear me, church. Either view distorts the good news of Jesus Christ, who was taken onto the cross to bear our sins and reconcile us to God. You see, my Bible teaches, and I hope somebody will say amen to this, my Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was 100% man and 100% God. Now you say, explain that to me, preacher. I can't explain it to you. But I believe it with all of my heart. You see, because Jesus was 100% God, His death has infinite value for the entire world. And because He was 100% man, He could be our substitute for us as He died on the cross. So Paul says, it all comes down to this. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Descended from David. 100% God. 100% man. And there is nobody else in all the world for whom that could be said. Remember Jesus Christ in the midst of your affliction. Remember Jesus Christ if you're wondering if you can endure. Remember Jesus Christ when the days get scary and painful. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 8 and 9, 
No, verse, he said, this is my gospel, the end of verse 8. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. If you were to look at that word in the original language, the Greek language, the word criminal is a strong word that was used for violent and dangerous people like murderers and traitors to the government. Well, what Paul was saying? Paul said that I'm chained, they are treating me as if I am a dangerous and violent person. As I sit in this dungeon, this maritime prison in Rome, as I am awaiting my execution, they are treating me, a preacher of the gospel, they are treating me as if I am a dangerous criminal. But then he says, I'm chained, but God's Word is not chained. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. You can chain the messenger, but you cannot chain the message. You can imprison the preacher, but you cannot imprison the Word he preaches. The message is always greater than the messenger. Paul was quite certain as he sat there chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, as he actually wrote these words chained to a Roman uh, jailer, Paul was quite certain that even the great government of Rome could never build a prison that would contain the Word of God. God's Word can no more be chained than God Himself can be chained. I'm chained, he said, but God's Word is not chained. You know, it's one of the facts of history that if human effort could obliterate Christianity, it would have been gone a long time ago. But you cannot kill that which is eternal. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me that in the places around the world where persecution is at its hot, hottest, those are the places where the church is growing the most. We think we have big churches in, in America. Somebody talks about 20,000 people, we would talk about a megachurch in America. But in places like Korea, places like Africa, places like China, where persecution is very, very real, the gospel is exploding there. I talked to somebody recently who has been to some of those regions, and he told me in Korea, he went to see it himself, in Korea, he said it's nothing to go to church that has 150,000 on Sunday morning. 150,000. How was church today? Oh, we're kind of down. We're about to 148,000. 150,000 people worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning in a place where the gospel is opposed and Christians are persecuted. You can chain the messenger. You cannot chain the Word of God, he proclaims. God's Word cannot be chained. Which brings us to verse 10. Therefore, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was certain that what he was going through would end up helping other people. His suffering was not pointless. It was not profitless. Paul says, I understand what's happening. I understand that I'm suffering, but it's, I'm not just suffering. I'm suffering for others. You know, when, when, when I 
teach Discover Mount Airy, I do this little thing with every class, and I tell them ahead of time, I say, I know this is cheesy, but I want you to do it, I want you to learn it. And here's what I teach them. I said, the one thing I want you to remember at Mount Airy is this. It's not about me, it's all about him, then it's about them. Because every group that comes through Discover Mount Airy, I'm trying to help them understand, you are not here for you. That's not biblical Christianity. You are not here to satisfy you and please you and make you happy. That is not biblical Christianity. Paul said, I am suffering everything I'm going through for the sake of the elect. And don't get all tied up in that phrase, the elect. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about those people who have not yet come to faith in Christ. He said, I'm suffering for those people. He was so outwardly focused. Look at it again. Look at real closely. Verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too, notice this, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He was talking about those people who have not yet come to faith in Christ. If you want to know where I stand on election, it's this. I believe the Scripture teaches that God has chosen all of us. And we're free to choose, or to, we're free to, choose to accept Him or reject Him. God has chosen all of us, and the gospel is available to everybody, and we're free to choose to receive it or to reject it. We don't have time to look at the text, but you can write it down. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6 would be a good verse or passage for you to look at. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6. But, listen church, the doctrine of election is not the focus of this verse. Paul was certain that his suffering would help other people who have not yet come to faith in Christ. And that phrase, not yet, is, is important. I've been reading a book recently by Russell Moore called Onward. And in the book, he tells about being a, a little boy in his little Southern Baptist church. He said it was a typical Southern Baptist church and very traditional and very um, Southern Baptist. And, and he said, I was sitting in church one day as a little boy with my grandmother and there's a man sitting in front of me with his arm around his wife. And it was summertime. He had on a short sleeve shirt and said, Russell Moore, as a little boy, said, I noticed on his arm he had a very large tattoo of a naked woman. Now, as a young boy, he had never seen anything like that. And it, it disturbed him. It, it upset him. And it also fascinated him at the same time. So he said, I, I sat there for a moment just looking at that. And he said, eventually... I elbowed my grandmother and I pointed to the tattoo. He said, I expected that she would show her disgust as well. He said, because this was the same lady who was a pastor's wife, a widowed pastor's wife. She was the same lady who washed his mouth out with a bar of soap for something he had said as a little boy. So when he pointed to the naked lady tattoo on this guy's arm, he said, I thought, she would join me in my disgust. He said, but that side of her didn't show up in that moment. Listen to what she said. She whispered, yes, honey, he doesn't know the Lord yet, and he's had a hard life with drinking and drugs and all. But his wife has been trying to get him to come to church for a long time, and we've all been praying for him. He's not trying to be ugly to anybody. He just doesn't know Jesus yet. And Russell Moore said, when I heard that word yet, my mind began to go in all kinds of places. He said, I, I became fascinated with the idea 
the possibility that this hardened ex-military man with a naked woman on his arm could actually become my brother in Christ. And he said, and eventually he kept coming to church and eventually that's indeed what happened. And he said, I've never forgotten what she said. He's not a follower of Jesus yet. Not yet. Have you got any not yets in your world? You know, too often we look at the not yets and we look at look or how they dress or what they do or where they go and, and we label them, we don't label them not yet, we label them not ever. Uh, that person will never come to Christ. That person will never turn and put their faith in Jesus. We, we label them not evers. But in reality, they're simply a not yet. They've not yet come to faith in Christ, but you're still praying for them. They've not yet come to faith in Christ, but you're still working with them. They've not yet come to put their faith in Christ, but, but you're still trying to witness to them. They've not come to Jesus yet. Paul said in verse 10, Timothy, I want you to understand something. The reason that I am suffering here in this prison cell, the reason that I'm about to give my life is for those who have not yet come to faith in Christ. Paul knew his suffering was very real. But he also knew that the eternal suffering of the not yets was even worse. And the eternal suffering of those who have not yet come to faith in Christ motivated him to continue in his own suffering. And so he ends it with these words. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Then skip down to verse 11. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we, what's that word? If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot disown himself this is probably part of a hymn that they sang in the new testament church and the message is simply this we have a message that's not only worth sharing but if necessary it is a message worth suffering for for the not yet's who still don't know what we know, who still have not experienced what we experience, who still are not headed toward the heaven we're heading for. So Paul in that prison cell, knowing that he soon would be stepping into heaven, said, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I remember Jesus Christ. And there is no one else like Him. Raised from the dead, descended from David. Nobody else is that true of. This is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. This is the one that those who have not yet come to know, they need Him. And so I continue to go. I endure and I persevere. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it is painful. Yes, there are consequences. But I am convinced that Jesus Christ is real and so is the Gospel, the good news. So I'm going to give everything that I have, everything that I am, to continue to tell people about the one who can change their eternal life and their life while they're here on earth. Because the not yet still need Jesus. Would you pray with me about that?
With your heads bowed, listen to that verse one final time. When he said, talks about the not yet. He says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That Notice this, just listen. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That they too can experience what I've experienced. That they too can know what I know. That they too can have the relationship that I have. That they too can have the peace that I have. That they too can have a home in heaven like I do. I'm sharing and doing what I'm doing so that they too can trust Christ. You know, you can do that today. Regardless of who you are, first time here, or you've been here most of your life. If you're one of the not yets, you've not yet really trusted Christ, and you've got your reasons for not doing so, but, but today the gospel has penetrated those walls. Today the gospel has, has shown you that Jesus Christ, He's the only one, Raised from the dead, descended from David. He's the only one that's both God and man. He's the only one who can offer you any hope. He's the only one who can change your life. He's the only one who can forgive your sins and make you a different person. And you're not yet. But today could be the day where you become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that. I want to ask you to come up in the balcony, down here on the lower floor. I I want to invite you to come to Christ. If you are a Christian, maybe you just come get on the altar and say, God, you have done for me what I could never do for myself. May I be focused outwardly on those who have not yet experienced what I've experienced. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your graciousness offered to us. And I pray that if anybody here, Lord, if they're struggling with with the thought of experiencing putting their faith in you, but yet they don't want to stand in front of the crowd. They don't want to... Lord, I just pray that you'd help them overcome their fear. May their desire for Jesus be greater than their fear of man. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.